curatorial space, institutional space, social and political and ethical and economic space, deep space, outer space, inner space. Space is an issue for everyone, yes, but it has specific resonance for those who make exhibitions and run institutions, and a bit differently for women in general. How we move through it, how we claim it, how we narrate and thematize it, how we fund it, how we labor in it, how we construct it, how we are trapped in it or trap others in it. Women in Space a two-day symposium that thematized the role of scale, space and power in envisioning women in the art system and made reference to the exploratory nature of space travel and all its attendant problematics and projections. Taking the measure of a wide swath of art institutions and spaces run by women curators in recent years, it would seem that the art spaces they activate do not often stress the importance of size, the need for expansion, or the importance of demographic media impact, but rather the necessity of programs that encourage a qualitative interaction between different social spheres as they relate to the exhibitions, public programs, and the continuous presence of the artist community. But the question remains, do women art professionals aim for this outcome or is this the result of the difficult and adaptive process to the very patriarchal conditions in which they, as women in a system created by and for men, are mandated to work? Ideas of intimacy, the smaller scale, and the need for a social space in which to express authentically and in solidarity can seem to clash simultaneously with the larger, louder, seemingly more ambitious view of what women should want. What do all these ideas, projected or not, imply? And how do they manifest in space itself? How have such ideas affected the view of women who claim space, as it were, large or not? The position of art in the women's liberation movement is the position of woman in the arts movement. The history of woman is the history of man. Because man has defined the image of woman for both man and woman, men create and control the social and communication media such as science and art, word and image, fashion and architecture, social transportation and division of labor. Men have protected, projected their image of woman onto this media and in accordance with these medial patterns, they give shape to woman. If reality is a social construction and men its engineers, we are dealing with a male reality. Women have yet to come to themselves because they have not yet had the chance to speak insofar as they had no access to the media. Let women speak so that they can find themselves. This is what I ask for in order to achieve a self-defined image of ourselves and thus a different view of the social function of women. We women must participate in the construction of reality via the building stones of media communication. This will not happen spontaneously or without resistance. Therefore, we must fight. If we shall carry through our goals such as social equal rights, self-determination, a new female consciousness, we must try to express them within the whole realm of life. 
This fight will bring about far-reaching consequences and changes in the whole range of life, not only for ourselves, but for men, children, family, church, in short, for the state. Women must make use of all media as a means of social struggle and social progress in order to free culture of male values. In the same fashion, she will do this in the arts, knowing that men for thousands of years were able to express herein their ideas of eroticism, sex, beauty, including their mythology of vigor, energy, and austerity in sculpture, painting, novels, films, drama, drawings, etc., and therefore influencing our consciousness. It will be time, and it is the right time. That women use art as a means of expression so as to influence the consciousness of all of us, let our ideas flow into the social construction of reality to create a human reality. So far, the arts have been created to a large extent solely by men. They dealt with the subjects of life, with the problems of emotional life, adding only their own accounts, answers, and solutions. Now we must make our own assertions. We must destroy all these notions of love, faith, family, motherhood, companionship, which were not created by us, and thus replace them with new ones in accordance with our sensibility and with our wishes. To change the arts that man forced upon us means to destroy the features of women created by him. The new values that we add to the arts will bring about new values for women in the course of the civilizing process. The arts can be of importance to the women's liberation insofar as we derive significance, our significance, from it. This spark can ignite the process of our self-determination. The question, what women can give to the arts and what the arts can give to the women, can be answered as follows. The transference of the specific situation of woman to the artistic context sets up signs and signals which provide new artistic expressions and messages on one hand and change retrospectively the situation of women on the other. The arts can be understood as a medium of our self-definition, adding new values to the arts. These values, transmitted via the cultural sign process, will alter reality towards an accommodation of female needs. The future of women will be the history of woman. When I work with an artist, it's not only that you digest perhaps the work of the artist and trying to understand, because understanding there is for me always this idea that I have to you know, comprehend somebody and, and kind of a distance. So I like the idea of the stomach and digesting because somehow I have to make it my, in my own and in my own register. So when I'm working with somebody else's practice, what I try to understand is how somehow think for the other in a very sort of almost ontological way, how you can put yourself in the position of other. For me, it's very important not only to understand that, but also in the space that you are and the resources that you have and the audience that you might talk to. In, in a way, I think it's like digestion of all those aspects in order to create a space of production and contribution, a real contribution, or at least, you know, something that can affect others, uh, being the artist, being the space, being the, you know. Um, so I think for me, the, the stomach is that, is that creating this digestion needs time a little bit. So somehow 
is site-specific in that sense and context-sensitive. No, it's not the same to eat in, in Switzerland than to eat in Liverpool or eat in Mexico. You have a different forms of, you know, different products, let's say, <laughs> and different culinary. So in a way, for me, the digesting is very much about all these, you know, entities that make an event happen. So how you, you as a producer have to understand that that needs time and somehow all has to be in place, no? It's not only about unilateral relationships between the curator and the artist, no. It's much more, for me, like, more like, an, in that sense, like, you love the octopus idea, but the octopus, you know, is like kind of creating a sense of ideas on sensitivity in different fronts, I think. For me, it's very inspiring in conceptually. It's Eduardo Viveros de Castro and his idea of uh, from the enemy's point of view. So in the idea is that in order to conquer the other, you have to put yourself in the position of the other and really understand how this other will act, will act in the environment, you know? It's like kind of you have to hunt some, something, you have to be the animal in order, in order to sort of predict the steps and be able to conquer, no? And so in a way, I think this um, putting yourself in the position of the other, um, and the other in like kind of a sort of a constellation of, of, of artists, space, place, moments, um, invitation, I think is very important to understand why some people invite you to do something somewhere. So the expectations, and then is how, how you work. I can say that when I started at Kunsthalle Basel, I was very much aware of everything you've described about its architectural, local, international history but also the fact that as an institution that was founded by a Kunstverein that's now celebrating its 180th year this year, being the first female director had a very strange impact on my, I would say, first two years as director because I, I almost feel looking back that I hardly slept in the first year certainly because I kept thinking, if I do something wrong, if the program's not amazing, if the budget isn't balanced, they will say, we gave it to a woman, and look what happened. You know, after 180 years of it being sort of almost <laughs> run by illustrious men. <laughs> the, the simple fact of, um, you know, there was a kind of pride in being able to be the first, but also this incredible weight, which has taught me that while we think that patriarchy comes from without, yeah. that it's, it's around us, it surrounds us. Um, I was reading the other day, I did a kind of quick Google search, patriarchy for the definition. And I loved this first Wikipedia definition that says patriarchy is a social product. You know, as if it's like, you know, bottled water or something you can buy. At the, but it's, so yes, it's socially produced, but I would also say it's bodily and internally produced. Yeah. Because of course, no one at Kunsthalle Basel, not the audience, not the board, not the team, no one made me feel like if I screwed up, it would be blamed on my womanhood. But it was internalized. It was internalized by you know, my own history, the history of, of patriarchy, the history that is lived in all of us. It's a, it's a kind of internal response, too. Like, we are not immune for it. Women are also carriers of patriarchy. All of us are. And when you think about it, I sometimes think about ideas of, you know, 
um, generational trauma and inherited trauma and how basically they say these things are kind of become embedded in your gene codes. They become part of your body, they become part of your processes, even if they're not from your experience. So even if from your experience, exactly as you said, no one was saying, oh, you better watch out. But it's in your body that you know, this knowledge is there, it's encoded in there. It's a code that you can read in other places and it's encoded within. And I think one of the questions yesterday was how, not how, only how we change systematically the way, um, the way things are worked in the art institution and our institutions so that this kind of patriarchal precarity and, um, and violence doesn't continue to exist, but how we also change ourselves. So that expectation of, of not being able to set a foot wrong, because if we do, we'll be, we'll be wiped out and everything we worked for will be gone. Um, how we can also change our sort of mind frame, which I find, I mean, that's just a question mark. I don't know if it's actually possible. The simple fact of being a female in a position of power, if you will, in an art institution is not enough, but it is already something in the sense that there's this, this proverb that I love. I don't know where it came from, but, um, and I'm sure I'm gonna massacre it, something <laughs> like, the day the lion has their own historian, the history of the hunt will no longer glorify the hunter. Um, this idea that as soon as you have women that are historians, that are directors, that are curators, that are in charge of making decisions about programming, about how we write history, that it can be written differently, women can be written into the narrative. Um, I do think a lot about in our programming about how to um, make sure that we have the incredible plethora of strong, interesting, diverse women um, in the arts that have a place. But I don't think of it as a tally score. I'm not counting or, um, and in fact, it often happens that we have um, not only as many women as men, but some years, many more um, that are included, but not because it's um, an effort to sort of rejig the balance, but more, it's about being open to going to those places where women um, might be able to be found, which is not necessarily the usual places. It just means looking differently. So not in the galleries, um, because we know that gallery representation for women is skewed. Not in the auction houses, because we know, um, not in the art fairs, not even necessarily in the biennials, but finding other ways to seek out um, interesting artists and finding a way to give them a platform, a voice, um, and a way to sort of be supported in their, in their practice at an early stage so that they can go on to sort of make different steps um, to be, we know the way the art world works and the recognition that comes from one institution will suddenly sometimes catapult or make it possible for an artist to be invited to do other things. So somehow an invitation um, might is sometimes enough to have an impact on the career of an artist. And it seems it's super important. It's also interesting how these Lions Club that write their own history, um, it's counteract by the fact that um, women are easily removed. We were yesterday talking about uh, when, for example, somebody gets uh, expelled, it's not only the person and the individual, but the whole programming, the whole ideas behind it, the whole practices, the whole exactly that, the whole history of the lion, like the possibility of, of that otherness 
of uh, approaching the art practice, uh, not being respected, not constituting the chapters, as if uh, that book has a chapter less. And my question to both of you is actually, how can we prevent that? How can we do what we are doing, but also um, assure as well um, that there is some sort of connectivity or epistemology of that other way? Because um, as you said, and I think it's very wise, uh, if the lion could talk, if nature did have an agency, if, you know, if uh, this would happen, it's not only a different story to the narrative, but it's a different epistemology probably. It's a different way of constituting um, a behavior of understanding the connections, but also the conclusions would be different. So how to prevent or how to make it so? Or just ensure that the erasure of one woman doesn't mean the erasure of the practice and the methodology and all the work she's done to create a kind of constellation of a different way of working, of looking, of, of helping, of, of moving, um, centering artist practices that otherwise wouldn't have it. Like, yeah, exactly, because they're so, we are so, um, people are expendable, but the work remains. And I think that's what's very important to, to make sure that you know, that the precarity we live with doesn't mean that the work we do will also have a kind of erasure as well. I mean, of course, it's like if somebody is removed from a place, should be immediately, ideally, should appear in another place. Like it should be like somehow, like kind of, you cannot get rid of it. You can displace it, but not once it exists, it cannot disappear. Somehow, I think it's more like a game of displacement or even confusion is like, oh, what, what did happen? Ah, no, but you know, she's it, yeah, she's back. <laughs> well, I think it's looking at each other's practices. I mean, we have to study each other's practices, and I think you know these moments where you know you can talk about what are you doing, what you know, like because then you understand somebody's universe in a way. So in a way, you can support those universe, you know, or support each other. So I think it doesn't disappear. I mean, it, it, it doesn't erase, you know. We just have to make sure it just appears somewhere else. And Except it sometimes doesn't depend on the person. There's a whole list of others that are right around the same moment suddenly were ousted from their positions. And I'm sure they would love to reappear. They would love to, to take on a directorship, a new position, but it's not up to them. Because often when they're ousted, there's also a, a kind of aura of... I won't say a blacklist, but a kind of shadow of, well, doubt. Um, and exactly the reasons that they're ousted for are the same reasons that men are celebrated for. You know, that a, that a female director is difficult, you know, in the hands of a, of a male director would be, he stands for what he believes in. You know, a, a female director who is sort of doesn't let artists run all over them and thus have, you know, pushback a um, male director would be celebrated for having, you know, stood his ground. Um, a female director who's bossy, um, and it's interesting that that word is difficult, only, difficult, is, is only applied to women. Like, you never hear a man described as bossy. But I, just to add another happy note, um, <laughs> you know, I also think that it is thanks to um, mostly female practice in um, directing and curating that the performance has the space that it has today. Um, so I really remember the first exhibitions that, for example, Magba, we dedicated to John Jonas or Adrian Piper or Martha Rosler or many others, and they were the major, major shows 
that at the time nobody was doing and many other people in many other places were kind of uh, insisting on the difficulty of that performing and how it's difficult to <clears throat> encompass that practice normally with an exhibition practice in the, in the Usus and yet so important. And um, in your case, for example, in your program, there's many of it. And I think that that is something <clears throat> that we can say is mostly because of that, that it came really from the margins, if you want, but it's now at the very center. And the question is, for example, what else? I think, what else do you think that is the f something which is a trait that defines both your programs or ways of working that you would like to see at the center in the next years? South epistemologies, like very broad, but somehow other forms of understanding <coughs> this one and the many individual group, all these kind of binaries. And, and I think that, I think other forms of relating, I think uh, forms of being together, uh, I think that's in a very general way, perhaps. So you mean the dialogical forms that exist in art or in art communities, or you mean art from the South? Can be from the South, but more like in, in ways of thinking, more like kind of practicing in the, as a practice, more like a, methodologies of working, of you know, understanding, like not understanding, but more like comprehending other forms that are not, uh, like what does it mean to have, what it means to have group, what it means to be together, like maybe that in that sense. I mean, if I tried to think of a parallel to the way you've described performance being the margins that, be, that, are, that is now at the center, I would say sort of rethinking the exhibition format as such which is something which, I mean, you could almost describe it as a patriarchal form, but it, you know, it's a fixed form that's been there for, you know, I don't know how many thousands of years. Um, and I think the, the, the questioning of it, like the questioning of all sort of canonical forms, like, you know, why does the novel have to look like the novel has always looked, but why can it not still take the name novel and sort of jig that up? But the questioning of the exhibition as a form is something that I've seen at least through the work of the way artists have reinterpreted that. It's something that's been really important to my thinking once I arrived at, at Kunsthalle and probably also before, but as a way to try to not leave unquestioned that most fundamental sort of basis from which we start as curators and saying, you know, it doesn't have to be about how you know, how things hang on the wall or sit on a pedestal and whether they're a little bit higher or lower, but the exhibition as such could be a completely different model from which we work. And do you have something in mind? I think you are not talking about the display here. You are talking about certain aspects that we could liberate it from. Yeah, well, I mean, it can be as simple as when I arrived at Kunsthalle, the, I made the decision that the first sort of exhibition that would open at the institution would be uh, what, what we've called an ongoing retrospective of Jana Ivanova, a young Bulgarian, still young Bulgarian performance artist. It was her first ever exhibition and institution, but I declared sort of from the very beginning that this exhibition would take as long to see as my directorship would take. That somehow um, the audience would have to come back year after year, every two years, whenever her, a part of her exhibition would appear. 
it emerged from the art itself. She's an artist who works um, in performance, but also revealing unspoken social dynamics, power, gender, financial, fiduciary relations between people, but mostly gender and power. And because of that, I wanted to make it not only the first project, but also to say that we can think of the exhibition differently, and the exhibition can take, how long will I be director? I don't know, 10 years? But however long I'm director, her project will keep coming back and will build part by part until at the end you have the whole of her retrospective, which will be, have, be done in reverse. So opposite the way we think of the way a Mondrian show would glorify the career of Mondrian at the end of sort of when you know that he's a great artist mm -hmm. and when you know that um, he's made it and you know which 40 works are the great works. And the first question I got from press, from people asking about that is, well, how do you know she's gonna be a great artist? I mean, how do you know that she's worthy of a retrospective? And it allowed, precisely by doing that project, it allowed me to talk about what a Kunsthalle should do, which is to take a risk on what we believe um, an interesting artist working today is and how they will write the art history of tomorrow. But if you don't give those artists that you believe in the chance now, that history of art will be written differently and may simply be written without them. Um, it was important that it was a woman, it was important that it was performance, and it was important that it be not a traditional exhibition. That, that from the start, um, it was announced that the Kunsthalle could be a place where thing, unexpected things happen and do you that think are done differently. And do you think that you could do more of these non-traditional formats? Or if not, why not? Yes, you know, the project that came immediately after that was uh, an exhibition of a young Belgian artist who, as part of his project, and the reason I invited him, is because he curated a solo show of a totally unknown Congolese painter from the 30s. So it was an exhibition within an exhibition that was a solo show that was actually a duo show that was curated by me, but actually curated by the artist. So, um, and after that, the next project was um, a project by Mark Leckie that was a copy of a project that he had curated. So it's like I wanted very specifically to start the program by forcing people to ask the question, what is an exhibition and why does it have to look the way we always thought it should? So it's an ongoing question for me, but it emerges precisely by the example of artists like Sturdivant, like Martha Rosler, like artists who have throughout their career insisted that the exhibition um, is a form to be questioned. What are the conditions that you think should change even more in order to make it even more possible? I can say from my experience, whereas the beginning might have been an experiment, almost like a gauntlet thrown out to the public, um, the fact that there was no fallback, the fact that it was embraced, the fact that the public came and comes again meant that the you know, uh, board accepted it and said, this is why we brought you to do exactly what you're doing and to give you the free hand to be able to do it. Um, we, have, we do our openings differently. It, it means that everyone, I think, feels welcome. And by them being there and by them being in more and more numbers, it becomes a sort of a feedback loop that allows mm -hmm. the institution to continue to sort of innovate, raise questions, do what it does at 
at the level that it does. Um, of course, it also needs sponsors. It needs, you know, it needs the politicians. It needs other people to accept those things. And when you question something as traditional as the format of an exhibition, it's not always so evident that they will follow you. Um, but we always cross our fingers and, and, and hope that it, it will work out like that. I did this exhibition with Hilary Lloyd and she was approaching it like this. She was saying, okay, Nicola, I want to see like all the works that I have seen while I was a student in the 80s. So let's show all these men. So I picked out all like the, the male, um, yeah, which was quite a lot, um, actually. That I, so I had like a whole floor, only like male painters put up, and then on the other two floors, Hilary Lloyd's work. So that was kind of one approach, for example, um, in terms of maybe starting a little bit of a debate um, of what it means to where the female comes into or where masculinity is still so very present. And what interests me, because I'm curious, is that at the time that you were part of the Museum for Gegenbart, was it a debate on adding contemporary material that does not adjust to the classical and canonical uh, material that they have in the collection? I think, they, were they considering um, buying uh, documentation, buying performance, buying other practices, buying archives, buying the memory of no. No. Why? I mean, the, the, of course, the Kunstmuseum has a long, long history, and I might should maybe not go into this long history of, I don't feel like really that I will be the person to speak about that. But it was always like the more the idea of um, you started collecting somewhere and you, um, and you follow that artist for many, many years to not drop that artist, which is also a good way of, of collecting. But this was the sense of the Kunstmuseum, how they collected so that they really would, they would not try to implant maybe things they left out, like fluxes happening, whatever other um, um, moments in, in history, they didn't try to re-implant that again, that maybe some other directors missed out, but rather to kind of connect um, to what was already there. I remember very clearly that I was kind of, you know, uh, working at Magba. Magba is a very ideological museum because they, we, all needed to somehow produce an answerability to a political situation. The collection was good to a certain extent, but you cannot do a contemporary art collection or a modern art collection in a place where the trustees and the money is not there to replicate um, a canonical art collection. So you needed to invent ways of uh, celebrating both the past and the present, but not necessarily through an international, well-established set of names. So one way of um, constituting the museum was somehow to replace taste by memory on the one hand, like to remember, to go through the archive, to go through the history, and the other mechanism was to produce a very, very solid uh, public program, mostly dedicated with political issues, so uh, gender issues, uh, the future of the left, uh, questions of feminism, uh, philosophy, philosophy, philosophy again, a little bit more philosophy, ideology, and then um, no fun. So it was no fun at all. The rooms were full because people felt obliged and so on. So when I was looking at what you were doing, I thought, wow, this is a liberating format because we were kind of encapsulated in that um, 
almost academicism of replacing or expanding the idea of the academia and the aula into a setting that it was living more friendly, more contemporary if you want, more, more kind of able to encompass the young community, but still nobody was performing anything there. While what you were doing was like setting up what I could perceive like a radical uh, public program where the things were not performed as illustrating ideas, but as actions themselves. It was like, you know, as art. So people were invited to produce the public program as artworks. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought, wow, this is amazing because uh, what a brilliant idea. So also even so more in a context like Switzerland where these kind of very brainy uh, public programs, very Anglo-Saxon, very articulated, very academic, very cultural studies are not necessarily possible all the time. So I thought, wow. So why don't you think that it did not stay under another form or that many others pick on that? I think it's very easy to answer that question because, I mean, that had really to do with um, the interest of the one who, I guess, who followed uh, my position, who who didn't take it on. Or, but of, of course, also we were like a collective with Hannah Weinberger and Tenzing Barshi and I'm missing someone, Scott Weaver. <laughs> and, um, and they, I mean... But Hannah, even yourself being asked to do the same in another institution. Why don't you think that people was perceiving this as a really an extension of the more traditional, more academic public programming in a more, more kind of live performance program attached to an institution, which is kind of a dream, because then the, the dynamics are not imposed from top down, yeah. they are from down to the, to the museum, and the museum can still function. So no, but I, was, I must say I was super lucky, very lucky that um, the two directors, Mendes Bürgi and uh, Stefan Charles, they really followed up on this idea. Like, the, you know, the plug-in moved out and we're like, oh, there's a space, there's a place. I mean, it's literally as dead. So there was really a space that was open to maybe to sit down and do some sort of programs. And I was lucky enough that, or we were lucky enough that our directors at that time really um, were thinking this could really be nice and open up for another crowd for the museum itself and attract another crowd and really, yeah, be another like work also because then we started also like inviting younger artists to talk about their practice. So it was a very um, organic mix you, of people. Yeah. And you also had some quite amazing exhibitions there. I mean, I remember seeing one of my favorite exhibitions and I somehow also folded them into what you were doing at the Museum for Gegenwartskunst was the... Heike Karen Foll show, mm -hmm. which was so beautiful, and I had never seen her practice before, and that seemed like a kind of logical outstep of also the larger shows that you were doing in the main space. I mean, sometimes I was thinking, that's true, yes. Um, we had like um, Ariane Müller and Heike Karen Foll, and looking back, I thought, hmm, maybe I'm not quite sure whether this was the the right approach because of course it's like it's the smaller space you know it's like the other space it's like it's like for the artist who is maybe not so established and somehow the rule or like an implicit rule i think for the museum was always to to look out for an already established artist but maybe not necessarily already having a monographic exhibition or publication ready or or not being so far already so like with um 
the exhibitions itself, I felt sometimes a little, it felt a little awkward. Like of perhaps you should be moving them into the larger yes. space and giving them this platform. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting though, thinking about the ways, the fact that it wasn't continued on and it seemed like at, at a certain point, I mean, earlier today when I think you asked, um, you asked this question about, uh, okay, so performance art has, has something that's come from a lot of, from like, from feminist art and feminist curators and become very central. What else would curators now want to center? And one answer, I think, from Manuela was different types of um, sort of um, ways of being together, different sorts of social gatherings, different, and in a way, I feel like Elaine was very much an experiment in exactly that. Um, and it was really interesting because, as you said, it was kind of performing the art, not just being an exhibition of it. It was like the act of going there, the act of planning it, all of these things were kind of about the very ideas of the shows inside the larger space. And, but the fact that at the end that it didn't continue, I wonder if it was also a bit of anxiety about finally, actually, this is too much. Actually, we need to make the museum simply a museum again. It needs to be have a perimeter, it needs to be austere, we don't need to sort of open the walls or have a different kind of gathering, a different kind of, I don't know what your experience of that was, but I felt like at the end there was a bit of, a bit of this grip, maybe this is too much somehow. Yeah, I can't really answer that question really because um, it was kind of like my nature um, that I wanted to work more openly and also together with others and I felt a little bit in this position in the museum, yeah, there's one curator for contemporary art, for the Contemporary Art Museum and I felt lonely also sometimes, there was no one to talk to and so that was a kind of a natural way of doing then meeting Hannah and all these people working here doing other things to get together and um, explore even more of, of other places. Um, did you took the experience of doing that somewhere else or are you taking into account for your work now in Köln? Yeah, I think always. I'm, um, I was working at the Porticus before and maybe that was a reason also because, I mean, they're like the production side and like really closely working with the artist and doing, doing the work together more. I mean, not that I would do the work, but like just like really thinking it through from the beginning to the end um, of how that exhibition could look like. And of course, the approach in the museum was a very different one because mostly the work was already existing or then like... Um, um, having different parameters of the museum then maybe developing in a different way, but still it was mostly already existing work. So that was a necessity almost for me to have that other ground. Uh, but do you think that the, the structure in Germany is changing? I think I always, well, I think that this one, I work there, but I think there's one probably the most chauvinistic context in which I ever work. Um, in terms of machoism, chauvinism, and actually putting people into place, doing a couple of cosmetic changes and so on, but actually uh, reducing a woman really to that scale, which is kind of medium range, without giving any damn about it, not supporting, not talking, not allowing, um, not even debating the situation of the Kunstvereine, I think, when I was there. <laughs> And I wanted to talk about it. They, they really were like, um, you are talking science fiction. And, um, and it was clear, now it changed a little bit with a couple of positions, but I still think that they are like minimum because it was always at least two women museum directors in Germany. That was almost, it was 15 years ago. And now they have also two women as museum directors in Germany. So uh, three. But um, then the Kunstvereine were the place mostly that uh, women um, occupy. 
And it was this kind of, um, you know, that kind of contemporary art toy that nobody was supporting. And I want your opinion on that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's either that, um, that it's run by, by women or it's run by men, but then just as like a, um, before they would become director of a big museum. So what is um, the museum that you are going to direct after the Kunstverein? But I was already at the museum, so I'm going backwards somehow. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no. <laughs> but don't you think that after being the chief curator of a museum, they could also offer you a museum? Yes, of course. And what happened? <laughs> I got a child, I guess. No, but um, so this is anyhow a system I'm not quite sure about. And this could be the whole other um, discussion now about this whole um, life of, of the Kunstverein and whether it's still going to be um, another life in like 20 or 30 years because it's, it's just really difficult to raise money to, and yeah, and maybe you have to be chauvinistic and maybe you have to be macho to, to get exactly that money that you want on that, on that position. And I don't know, um, I can just say that right now, like the, the Rheinland at least, like with Eva Birkenstock in Düsseldorf and Michelle Cotton, though she's leaving now in, in Kunstverein Bonn, that we formed this kind of triangle, which is kind, kind of really nice of like being three female directors now at the same time. And we're also gonna do work on, I mean, we try now to concentrate on the exhibition making, try to put aside for the moment the whole financial situation. But we collaborate on a project for September, um, which is on masculinity, but taking it from a perspective of the feminine. So really looking at like, what is the feminine gaze on, on men or on, on the masculine? And let's see whether we would, would get like some... Um, I mean, because it's the first exhibition that is also, you know, we, we try to, and I think that was also discussed before, I mean, you have to do alliances, I think, to kind of survive in this um, and can't be like so individualistically like approaching like your own institution necessarily all the time. So this is like maybe like a first round to form these alliances and to see whether we could get a little more yeah, powerful through that. But it's interesting because, as you said, it's so important to produce these networks to support each other, to produce a visibility through accumulation or to actually the coexistence of people thinking similarly. And on the other hand, in a country which is dissimilar to Switzerland, the way that they are opinionated about everything, that there is an opinion on the planet, that there is not a debate on that, on the fact that if this would be the place that they assign for the female curatorial practice, for example, why they, then, they don't even support it differently? Or why is this situation stagnating and there has no, almost no transformation? Or why in the German um, landscape of um, institution um, are still so that they don't, they wouldn't consider, um, you know, of course you got a child, but still you could be a museum director. And this is still a problem. And there is so very few talking about it. I think we talk about ideology, we have texts to Kunz, capitalism, but then the particulars of that capitalism and gender, nobody's addressing them in Germany. Why do you think it's like that? Or what are, what are they afraid of? so many so good professionals and still the debate is not on? The answer is probably um, a very difficult one, I guess. I mean, I can just see that, and I think it was also mentioned before, um, that uh, in, in university and in like all these places where you 
we get educated as a creator or an artist or that these places are mainly um, like inhabited by female um, persons, but then the outcome of these females are just really rare. You know, I was at the Apple and there was one male um, curator and um, the same was already happening at the university, but it's exactly those few people who are sitting there as male who became like the um, the directors or the, the ones who yeah in power then of these positions. And I can't really tell. I mean, it's also the boards, I mean, also a mirror. I mean, the boards and these three institutions that I just mentioned uh, in, in um, Bonn and Düsseldorf, the board members are almost all male. Yeah, yeah. And there, um, I think it's not even, there was one in Bonn, but I think even like the chairs is not even, um, there are yeah. no females. And that's also one of the answers maybe. Yeah, this is one clear answer to that. But still, one could think that with um, somehow of new voices and some of uh, uh, art critics in Germany and so on, that they would respond um, differently to that situation. Um, I think in Spain it was the same, till uh, two of the directors of the editorial of the two main newspapers became women, and they start openly talking about it, and going to museums, reading the names, and actually asking themselves simple questions that they were published. By the second year they were doing that, then every time that they were making decisions, they needed to justify these decisions in a press conference. And, and that kind of pushed the, the change a little bit, because it was not that easy to make again the same decision. So, you know, that would kind of mortify but that, them. But that also depends on the fact of what you just said, that the editorial boards of these newspapers also have women with a kind of feminist consciousness on them. Because the, yeah, the sort of patriarchal makeup of these boards and these institutions are mirrored in the media as well. And they're sort of mutually supportive. So they like sort of help each other out by you know sort of silencing these ideas I, by having all. I men. must say that, and of course, I'm a big fan of analyzing the politics of newspapers and who are the like you know who is the main editor and who is the editorial board. I think if you look at the Fatset, it's a history of love and beauty towards women. It's probably the most misogynic um, redaction that there exists. Suddeutsch uh, is a little bit different, but I think in every country you need to also ask who are the clusters of opinion formation and who are occupying, how do they influence? And I must say that the very moment that El País got a, a, a director woman, the whole thing changed from today to tomorrow. You could really read the paper in the cultural section and you could not recognize the subjects anymore. I think, you know, Mike Jagger disappear, our Mike Jagger, because everyone has, every country has a Mike Jagger, no? a guy which is 70 and still singing, and it was always this eternal article about that he still keeps his body, he still has his voice out. It was like, so liberating. I mean, another answer is, maybe, is also that, that that spaces that we talk about, the museums, the newspaper, the whatever spaces we, we try, we as women try to, to also be situated in, that they are created by men um, at some point, and that it takes a, probably a while until these spaces physically and architecturally, or I don't know, um, ideology could, could by, politically could be changed, you know, it has to be changed by women first until they can be probably occupied by women. I mean, this is just an, 
abstract idea. That's no, but in Germany it's not even happening because I, I have the theory that one of the worst enemies of the art world in Germany today is called Monopole. That is now actually run by two women, like one, but the, the editorial is quite, but they are as chauvinistic mm. and even worse, they claim to be what they are not. I think if you look and read of what they do and what they say, it has nothing to do with each other. And it's very interesting that there is no voices saying, but this is bullshit. I think, how can you claim of being, you know, a feminist and having of the 12 covers a year, uh, 11? being uh, male uh, people or even pederasts or uh, sexual harassers. I think, how can you do that? And still be yeah. claiming because those notions. And but I think I because think it's still using the same parameters as before. It's not yeah. a new magazine. It's still like the working within the same parameters. Yeah. But, but also same. I think just putting women in these positions yeah. of power, it's not, equity is not enough. It's not like every woman is going to be a feminist or have a feminist consciousness or think about who's not, who doesn't have a voice, who's not being made visible. Um, you know, women can just can be just as chauvinistic and patriarchal and holding onto that power in the same that way. So it's about sort of also not changing the system, but also, but also making what uh, we're talking about not just exclusive to a, a methodology that women employ, but a feminist consciousness that you know male newspaper writers and critics and editors and curators are also. But that is very difficult because that also means disavowing a certain amount of, in, of power that one is immediately entitled to by, have, by being a man. And almost no one does that. Most of the most feminist men that we know would never do that. So it's a, I don't know, I think it's like, it's not just a question of moving women into these positions. No, 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 definitely we, we know all that. We learned that lesson, even if I still would uh, insist to just um, do the quota 70-30. I still think that the quota we need for a certain while, it's a quota which is not 50-50. Uh, because in order to re-educate the system, you need at least an enough amount of plurality and conflict in the way that we see this adjustment to the possibilities of all languages, of new languages and so on, happening inside. And that can only happen by numbers. You need enough numbers so that this, the disagreement inside the discourse can happen. And, and that, I think, is very necessary. Participants were Nicola Dietrich, Mareike Dittmer, Raphael Dörig, Fanny Fetzer, Elena Filipovic, Iliana Fukianaki, Ines Goldbach, Sabine Himmelsbach, Claire Hoffmann, Manuela Moscoso, Marie Murassiol, Elfie Turpin and Nadine Wittlisbach. Moderated by Jus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Women's Center for Excellence, a research project between the Art Institute at the FHNW Academy of Art and Design in Basel and the Institut Tussouche, a joint venture with Grazina Kulczyk and Art Stations Foundation Switzerland. The Women's Center for Excellence is conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of women in the arts, culture, science and technology as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please go to our website, institut-kunst.ch. That's 
institut-kunst.ch or request information or subscription to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch That's info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch Instituto Susch is part of Museum Susch, an initiative by Art Stations Foundation Switzerland and Grashina Kulczyk. More information can be found at museumsusch.ch. That's www.museumsusch.ch. This podcast was produced by the Art Institute HGK FHNW in Basel and Instituto Susch, Art Station Foundation Switzerland 2019. Research Assistant Alice Wilke. Editing and Sound Design Elena Ziesa. Recordings Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. We would also like to thank the Bundesamt für Kultur, BRK, for their support.